2002, Serena Williams won her first Wimbledon title. Uh, at, that, at that match in 2002, she didn't have any, many fans that rooted for her. Fact is, most uh, were against her. And after her win, uh, a reporter grabbed her after the tournament and asked her and said, what was it like? What was it like to have all the English fans rooting against you? And she says, oh, you don't understand. They've been rooting against me all of my life. People have been rooting against me all of my life. But she said, you know what made it different for me? I knew my dad was in the stands. And I knew that he was cheering for me. And I knew that he was rooting for me. And really and truly, she said, at this tournament, I played for the applause or the approval of him. This weekend, we're going back into the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus begins to encourage his disciples about this issue of learning to seek the approval of God and God alone. Learning to have a God-focused life to where you understand that your heavenly Father is praying for you, that your heavenly Father is cheering for you, that your heavenly Father loves you deeply as, as Chad has led us in worship. And when he was looking at this issue, he was urging them this. He was urging them not to become people-pleasers. I mean, it's so easy to say, but it's so difficult sometimes to do, that he was encouraging them to not to live a life that is driven by the approval of people because you and I know this. Some will cheer you and some will jeer you. I mean, you know that a frustrating life for you and a frustrating life for me will be lived when we're looking for the approval of people that are around us. And if you get your self-worth for the people around you, you will live a life, well, you'll live a roller coaster life. You'll live a life of the highest of highs when everybody approves of you and everybody uh, accepts you greatly. You will live the lowest of lows when those who once approved of you no longer do. Your mood will go up and down based upon the approval of those around you. I don't know if you've noticed, this last week we're like on Michael Jackson overload. I mean, you can't turn on a radio, you can't watch TV without talking about his life. And, and man, I just got to tell you, I don't grieve his death as much as I grieve his life. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I, I hated to see him die. And I hate to see anyone pass away. But boy, this last week, as it came out about his life and some of the interviews and some of the things that came out about his life, Boy, I found myself saying, man, what a sad life. And I found myself grieving his life, not his death. Because really and truly, he was living a life of approval of many. He never got the approval of a dad, and he always wanted that, and so he tried to find that in other ways. And, and I thought, wow, with all the gold and the glitz and the glamour, in a recent interview, he says, I'm a lonely person. I'm just a lonely person. And the king of pop may be dead, but the king of kings is still alive. Amen. And we live for his approval. And Jesus was trying to get the disciples to understand this issue, that if you want to live the successful life, if you want to live the successful Christian life, then you're going to have to move because I believe it's a, it's a learned behavior. You're going to have to move to this point to where you're no longer a people pleaser. Because here's the deal. There are some people that are such people pleasers, they will go to any extreme to get it. I mean, there are some people that will live an unhappy life 
just trying to please people around them. I mean, there are some people that are such people pleasers, they can't say no to anyone. I mean, because they're worried that they'll disappoint and the, the whole deal is, is in the balance of this approval. Are they going to approve of me? Are they going to uh, disapprove of me? Are they going to like me? Or are they going to not like me? And when you look at this issue of people pleasers, you find that, that so many people can live in this mode so strongly that they cannot say no to anyone. So they never live life as they really are. And so they say yes when they really want to say no. And so many times they can get a bad rap because they don't follow through with commitments. They don't follow through with what they say they're going to do because on the surface they're going to tell you what you want to hear. They may do something different because they don't want to disappoint. There's some people that are such people pleasers that they're always wondering what people think about them. What people are saying about them behind the scenes. They're always wondering or do they approve of me or do they disapprove of me. Their whole life is like this stage performance to where they're on the stage and they're looking for the approval of man, the applause of man, and they're doing anything they can to avoid the disapproval of those around them. And so here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus came to this point in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and he gives this warning that we're going to understand in their culture, in their context, and then we're going to take the principles and we're going to transfer them to our culture and our time. And he was giving them a warning against self-promotion. I mean, you look and you find as you walk through this, he was warning the disciples about this issue of self-promotion. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, this is what Jesus said. He says, be careful. Man, just be careful what you do. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, watch this, is a huge warning. If you do, you will receive, you will have your, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now let me tell you something. We instinctively want to be liked, right? I mean, I mean from childhood up. Well, watch me, Mommy. I mean, watch me, watch me, Daddy. Or watch me to my friends. We instinctively want to be liked when we looked at this. You looked at the issue of teenagers. Teenagers will go to any extreme just to be popular, just to be liked. I mean, they want to talk the right way. They want to dress the right way. They want to have the right cell phones. They want to have the right iPods. They want to have the right clothes. They'll go to any extreme to be liked. Fact is, nonconformity can be a way to get attention. I mean, it could be a way in a teenager's life to try to grab t uh, attention any way they can, but we as adults, we can't be too hard on children because our teenagers because we ourselves can catch, get caught in that trap. What will the neighbors think if I don't mow the yard? What will the neighbors think if I don't weed the flower beds? What will they think if I don't wear the right thing, drive the right thing? What will they think if my car's dirty? I mean, if we're honest about this issue, even as adults, we fall into this trap because we all want people's approval. We care about what people think about us. And, and let me just tell you, it's not altogether bad. I mean, the Bible says, just take what the Bible says. The Bible says we ought to be sensitive to others. The Bible says we ought to be aware of our testimony. The Bible says we ought to be aware of how we live life around others. The Bible says that we need to be sensitive to others. And boy, even the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul says, I've become all things to all men so that I may influence a few. So he was aware of that. I mean, he, he was aware of that issue. Here's one thing that really encouraged me greatly. You realize Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. 
Do you realize he was a people pleaser? In fact, his scripture says, Paul says, if I was still trying to please man, if I was still a man pleaser, I would not be preaching the gospel. I would not be leading the way in which I was. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're a people pleaser, this is... If you're a people pleaser, you will never accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Because you're more worried about man's opinion of you than God's. You're living life for the approval of the people around you. Listen, people pleasers will appear to be hypocritical and deceptive. See, people pleasers will tell you exactly what you want to hear. They may do something entirely different. But they'll tell you, they'll make commitments. They'll tell you you're going to do something. Ask them if they're mad, they'll say, I'm fine. Ask them if you're upset. No, no, everything's great. Everything's, do you like going? I love going. I love to go there. I love to do that. When in their heart of hearts and in their, in their self. Man, they don't want to tell the truth. Because they're afraid of not receiving approval. Fact is, you go through the Bible, there are Bible characters after Bible characters that did things to please people that were evil and hurtful. King Herod. King Herod had John the Baptist beheaded at a dinner because he did not want to disappoint his drunken guest. He wanted the approval of them. Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate said in Scripture that he knew Jesus Christ was innocent. He knew Jesus Christ was, was, was without charge. Yet, he worried about the approval of his constituents. And the Scripture says he handed Jesus Christ over to be crucified even though he knew he was innocent, even though he knew it wasn't right, for the approval of man. The fact is in John... Chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, there were many religious leaders who believed in Jesus were, were, were talking and, 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 and they said, watch this, they said, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they weren't going to tell anyone they were a believer. They weren't going to tell anyone they were a follower of Christ. I mean, the, the fear of man was so great because watch this. Then it says... For they loved what? For they loved the praise from man more than the praise from God. I mean, this issue of people pleasing will keep you from living the authentic Christian life. It will keep you from living the life, living the life that God has called you to live because you're more worried about the approval of people around you than God. And Jesus was warning in this passage is really and truly not about doing evil. It's really and truly about doing good to impress people. On the surface, when, when I first walked through the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like we had a contradiction in Scripture. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've thought of it. But verse 16, chapter 5 in Matthew, Jesus said this, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Now he says, verse 1, chapter 6, be careful. Do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Sounds like a, a contradiction, right? Jesus is talking about the motive of the heart. 
See, Jesus, remember, he always raised the bar, especially through the Sermon on the Mount. And he came to the point and he says, check your motives. Are you doing your good deeds to, accept, to, to exalt Christ or self? Are you doing that act of service to bring praise to you or praise to God? Would you do that same act of service as no one noticed, no one knew? I mean, Jesus really and truly was talking about the motives. And he was really saying this, come to the point in your life to where you don't flaunt your spirituality. To try to impress people they, so that they'll think that you're, you're so dedicated and because you're so spiritual. But be willing to serve humbly behind the scenes. And if you're at a restaurant, then bow your head and pray. And thank God for the food that he provided. Someone asks you after church in the foyer to pray for them that they're going through a tough time. Don't stand up in a chair and say, hey, I need everyone to get quiet. I got a poor soul that needs prayer over here. And then pray for them out loud. Instead to quietly grab them in a private place. And just be willing to pray for them. Jesus was saying, learn to do the right thing without calling attention to yourself. I mean, there's, you realize there's tons of church duties or responsibilities that go on here every week that are unnoticed. That without those serving behind the scenes, what we do on the weekends would never happen. Whether it's cleaning the facilities, janitorial services, whether it's putting furniture together, painting, cleaning, whether it's volunteers coming in to stuff bulletins and to do volunteer week during the week, whether it's setting up a welcome service or welcome center so that you can have coffee and cookies, whether it's preparing a meal, whether it's serving the poor in some of the ministries that we have. Do you realize that there's church things that go on every week? And what he's saying is this. He said, try to do your acts of service without calling attention to yourself. I mean, don't think of some clever way to bring it up so you kind of brag about yourself and everybody knows what you're doing. Understand, you're living life for an audience, for an audience of one. John Art Artberg said this. He says, I know I'm supposed to be humble, but what if no one notices? <laughs> Isn't that a struggle for honest that we all have? I mean, we just want people to notice. We want people to know. We want someone to know what we've done, how we've served, how we met that need behind the scenes, how we, how we fulfilled that. We want people to notice our goodness. But it's the self-centeredness of it that God is talking about. Lord, don't be so concerned by what people think and do the religious thing just to impress them. If not, it's empty. And it's not fulfilling. See, I came up with a list of, of dangers of, of being a people pleaser. The first danger is this. is in, Maybe you've never noticed it, but it's like hitting a moving target. Have you ever noticed that? If you lead, you know what I'm talking about. That, that it seems like there's some people out there that no matter what you do, you'll never measure up to their approval. That as soon as you jump through the first hula hoop, they raise it. 
and you finally get to where you can jump through it at that height and they raise it. It's like hitting a moving target. One moment they can, be a, they, they can approve you and the next moment they disapprove of you. The fact is some people use approval to control by giving and taking approval. Don't have to yell, don't have to scream, don't, just, I'll just take it and remove it. And when I remove it, a group of people will scramble to try to gain that approval. Once again, another one that I listed was this. Most people don't really think about it as much as we think they do. One man said this, he said, if you worry too much about what people think about you, you'd probably be disappointed to discover how seldom they really think about you. I mean, so many times we're worried about what they think and what they're saying about us, and you know what? We're only on their mind when they're with us. Or they see us in passing. Or they see us in the community. Many times people don't think about us as much as we think they do. See, I went through the scriptures because my whole ministry will be spent trying, just for me, be trying to discover and understand this one principle of the life of Jesus. Jesus Christ was able to attract men and women unlike him. I mean, people that were attracted to Jesus Christ weren't anything like him. Prostitutes and sinners and murderers and thieves and all these people. I mean, they were attracted to Jesus. Some, some of the people that were most like Jesus, the religious, they were repelled by him. In this last week, I got a little bit of a deeper insight into this about what made Jesus so popular. I mean, just what made him so popular? You know what I discovered this week? You know what made Jesus so popular? He didn't care about public opinion. He wasn't rude about it. He wasn't arrogant about it. I mean, he didn't, he didn't care. I mean, all through Scripture, he says, I'm living for my Father. I'm, I, I've got to be about my Father's business. I do only what the Father has told me to do. Watch this. I mean, it's so amazing to me. Matthew 22, 16. Some of, the, some of the challengers, they admitted this. Some of the people that didn't like Jesus, they admitted this. This is what they said. We know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So we've looked at your life. We know you're a man of integrity. We know you teach the Bible. You aren't swayed by man because you pay no attention to who they are. Have you noticed that some people, leaders, people that change, people that influence many, they live life differently than everybody else. They live life to the extent that, that they understand that they either got a call on their life, they got a mission, God has asked them to do something, their life has been defined out to the extent to where they've walked through it, to where they know their goal in life, and they move to their goal in life regardless of what anybody thinks or says. And as believers, we have great power when we understand that this is what God has called us. There's two types of leaders. I mean, there's people-pleaser leaders and there's principle leaders, in my opinion. And those, if people-pleaser leaders make decisions out of emotion, who are they going to hurt? Who's going to get upset? Who's going to disagree? If they're going to be popular, if they're going to be unpopular? Boy, leaders that lead, leaders that make impact, leaders that have influence that lead out of principles. Takes all the guess, it takes all the emotion, takes all the guesswork out of it. And Jesus was popular with the crowds because they understood this about him. See, 
one of the main reasons that we quit trying to please people is because, boy, please hear me. It's only God's evaluation that matters. Some of us, we've been raised in church so long that we believe that it's Christians' evaluation of us that matters and their evaluation of, of, of us equates to God's evaluation of us. And James 4.12 says this, There is only one lawgiver and judge and the one who is able to save and destroy. Scripture talks about one day we're going to give an account of our life. There's going to be an evaluation. And the good news for you and the good news for me is this. It's not up to public opinion. Jesus isn't going to call down to earth and get three references. Jesus isn't going to call a bunch of people and ask them what they thought about you because he says, I'm really kind of on the fence with this one. <laughs> it's his evaluation. And when you understand what God says about you, when you understand that he loves you, he cares for you. It gives you as a believer just a lot of freedom in life. And Jesus ends up the Sermon on the Mount with this teaching and he says, he says this, he says, whoever hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And both men, the wise and the foolish man, they heard the same sermon, they heard the same talk. One man put it into practice, he was the wise man. The other man, the foolish man, heard it, walked away and did nothing with it. It's a powerful, powerful way that he ends this talk up, and it's just a warning. Man, be a wise person. Take the Sermon on the Mount and just be willing to put it into practice. Because what he's encouraging us, he's encouraging us with smart living. He's encouraging us to live a life for God's approval. And so Jesus, like any good uh, a preacher and communicator, Jesus gives an illustration. He gives an illustration of a man that was a hypocrite. And he begins kind of helping them understand this in a way that they can. So verse 2 and 3, let's just keep going. So when you give to the needy, notice he didn't say if, by chance, if you just kind of feel like it. I mean, you've got to understand a Christian is a giver. A Christian is a person that sees needs and is, is willing to meet those needs to the best of their ability. And Jesus just started off and said, hey, when, when, when you see someone needy, Do not announce it, or when you give, do not announce it with trumpets and the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and, and on the streets to be honored by men, I tell you the truth. They receive their reward in full, but when you give, he goes back to it, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That really means nothing to us in our culture and our context. Let me try to help you understand what it meant in their culture, their context, and then it becomes very easy to pull out principles to our time. See, in their times, in the synagogues, in their churches, they didn't give like we give. They didn't give by passing the plate from person to person to person. They didn't do that. They had pots that sat out front of the church on the street corner. And as people came into church, they would dump their tithes and offerings into the, the pot, and then they would go in to worship. That's how, that's how it happened in their culture. Here's what the hypocrites would do. They would wait. They would wait until it was crowded. It was like the 11 o'clock service when most people were there. They would get musicians there. They would get a band there. They'd play trumpets and instruments. 
And then the Pharisees, they would give large donations so everybody knew who the big hitters were in church. See, Jesus was upset about the motive. Jesus was saying, you're giving for the approval of man. If it wasn't the approval of man, if it was approval of God, you'd give in secret. You'd give whether someone noticed her or not. See, Mark tells us when, when Jesus witnessed this whole thing, watch this, Mark chapter 12, 41 and 42. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So he's sitting on the curb, he's just watching what's going down. Many rich people threw in huge, large amounts, but a poor widow came and put, her very, uh, put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And Jesus had told her that you gave more than all the others because of the motive, because of the way that you gave. And so people could sit and watch, and Jesus called them hypocrites, or Jesus called them play actors, because he told them. He told them. Boy, you're giving not to impress God, not as an act of service. You're giving to impress man. Now listen, in our culture, in our time, people still give to good causes for public approval. It's just the kind of the way it is. And you can go to any hospital, and you can see bricks with people's names on it and how much they gave. If you give enough, they'll name the whole hospital after you. They'll name a wing after you. They do it in colleges. They do it in libraries. They do it all over the place. Practice, it's, in fact, it's a proven method of way to raise money. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus does not make a sweeping condemnation on that practice. Jesus just simply says this. If it's public, everybody knows, you get your reward in full on earth. Nothing in heaven. You got your reward. You got your reward because of the plauses of men and women. Remember when Ted Turner gave $2 billion here well, back to the United Nations? It made not only national news, it made world news. And everybody talked about Ted Turner and how much he gave and what he gave and the grant and all this other stuff. And Jesus would simply say this, you just got your reward on earth. I mean, you've already got your reward in full. I will never forget I preached at a church many years back. They invited me to preach, and I was unaware of their culture and how they did church, and so it was kind of interesting to me. And, and all the pastors, associate pastors and everything, and me as a guest pastor, uh, we set up on the platform. And, you know, remember those of you that are traditional and come out of traditional churches like I did? Uh, we had the king's chairs, you know, up on the platform. You know those big, ginormous chairs where you feel like a five-year-old when you sit on your feet don't even touch the ground? I mean, the back of the chair goes way over your head. You feel like a five-year-old sitting up there, and I hate that. And you stare at everybody. I mean, what do you do? Where do you look? And then you're like, man, I hope my socks are matching and all that other stuff. It came time for the offering. And all the pastors filed off the platform, and I didn't want to go. And they're like, yeah. And I, I'm like, no, I'm not going. And they're like, yeah, you're going. We've got to stand. And so, so you know, you go into people-pleasing mode, and you, 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 know, you feel like, ah, i got to go. And so I went down, and I stood, and the, the Lord's Supper table was in front of us. They put the offering plates on the table. And do you realize they, they had the congregation, they filed in front of all the pastors, and people dumped in their offering? Not in envelopes. Nothing was in secret. And the pastors watched. And they would make comments. Uh, God bless Mother Mary, or Sister Mother Mary, Sister Mary this week. And then they'd say, Ah, oh, Brother Bob, I think he's holding back. I know what he makes. 
I was so uncomfortable with that. I mean, I stared at the, I wouldn't look. I just stared at the back wall. And so, God, please make this quick. <laughs> and Jesus raises the bar when he says, but hey, when you give to the needy, do not let, no, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that statement, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that doesn't make any sense to us. I read that for the first time, like, your hand can't even think. How could it know? I mean, what is up with that? You realize in their culture, their context, you know what he was saying? Left hand, right hand was, was, was significant in this. Don't even let your best friend know. There's a secret walk to the Christian life. Prayer and solitude, fasting, giving, sacrifice, obedience. And what he was saying is, man, live a life in such a way. You don't even brag to your best friend. Some of the people closest, I mean, I've done funerals for people. And they lived that out in their life. And there was one person after another coming up to the family, standing by the casket. And telling them what their father or their mother had done in secret that the family didn't even know about. That they gave their life away. Now, Jesus wasn't saying don't keep track of your giving for income tax purposes. Uh, it's okay to write a check with your name on it. It's okay to put your name on the offering envelope. He wasn't saying that. He was saying this. Just don't call attention to it. Once you've given, move on. Don't brag about it. Don't talk about it. Just move on. That's the reason that when I became pastor here, my first rule that I made is that I would never know how much anyone in this church gives. I don't even have access. I don't even have the passwords. I can't even look at how much anyone in this church gives because I don't want that to skew my thinking. I'm human. And I don't want that to skew my judgment or my decision. The fact is, in our church, there's really and truly only one person knows, and that's our administrator. She's the person that, at the, at, that each quarter has to tally it up and send out the, the things, the forms that, require, the, that the government requires the 501c3 to do for once a quarter and, and once a year. And I hate to tell you that when you give here, no matter how much money you give, you will not earn any special status. You're not going to get a, an organ named after you. We, well, we don't have an organ. That's why. You, you won't get a keyboard named after you. You're not going to get a chair named after you. We're not going to do the brick stuff. We're not going to name the cross. We're not putting your name on nothing. And I understand that there are some egotistical donors that will not give because of that. I understand that, but I would rather be biblical. I would rather do what God has called the local church to do in giving, to where it's totally separate, to where we make it as secret and private as possible so that you can give here with freedom, to where we'll do as, our best ability to make it between you and God. And I just got to tell you, and I just want to commend you, just stop just for a second. For your faithful giving to this church and this body in an economic downturn, this church has blown me away. 
with your faithfulness to giving. Honoring God regardless if anybody knows or not, and they're not. That you just give out of it, out of a desire to meet needs, to minister to people. See, that, your giving is the only reason we can do the stuff that we do. Your giving is the only reason that we can help people with rent every week. We can help make bills and utilities so people don't get their electricity turned off or eat for the week or help them out of a difficult situation, help them out or, or, or minister to single moms or minister through impact ministries or adopt an elementary school. You find this in the early church, Acts 4, 34 and 35 says, wow, what a, what a, what a huge deal to say. There were no needy persons among them. Far from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them brought, them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. That's why I hold the opinion, and that's why, because of this verse, that I hold the principle that tithes and offerings come into the storehouse, come into the church, because that's the way you see it in the local church. Fact is, you don't really even see that people met needs uh, to people to people. That they gave the money, they brought it to the apostles' feet, the leaders. Where the leaders knew the stories, knew the needs, knew what was really going on. It cuts the egos out of it. It cuts a lot out. And it was the leaders of the church that made decisions of the needs that they met. See, Jesus was trying to help these disciples to understand, don't try to impress people by how much you give. Don't try to impress people by your acts of righteousness and how spiritual you are. And Jesus gives a motivation for seeking God's approval. Verse 4, he says, Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, this is just huge, he'll reward you. And he's the one that will reward you. I mean, I love football, and I love that commercial. It's, they've done it in basketball and football, but in football it's the guys running the bleachers. The only guy in the whole stadium running bleachers when no one else is there. The, the basketball commercial was Michael Jordan. They talked about how many hours he spent in the gym when nobody else was there. He was there before anyone was there. He was, after, he was there after anyone was there. And then the commercial had the tagline, kind of, that, that they practice in secret so that they can win on the weekend, so they can get their reward on the weekend. Do you realize that's a great analogy for the Christian life? That's the real motive for the Christian life, that we live a secret life so that we can get our reward there's a motivation. Watch this. Matthew 16, 27 says this. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what? According to what he has, and he has done. See, the Bible is clear. There's rewards in this life and the life to come. Watch this. Matthew 19, 29 and 30. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive what? Will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then Luke chapter 19, Jesus teaches a parable that says that in heaven that there will be rewards in such a way that he will give one person oversight of ten cities and another person oversight of Five cities. Do you realize there's not different levels of, of heaven, but there are different rewards in heaven? Scripture is very, very clear about that. But the reward with the Heavenly Father, the promises that's immediate is 
is sometimes so internal. And if you support a ministry with your money and people are ministered to, there is, I'm telling you, there's a satisfaction deep inside that you don't have to brag about. And you can say, I helped meet that need. I was a part of that. I was a part of what God did in that person's life. And I've told you a huge core value in Karen's life and my life is just, just to be a giver. And I've watched God bless in ways that I cannot explain or understand for the things that are done in secret. God will reward you. Watchman Nee wrote this. I have never, never met a soul who has set out to satisfy the Lord and has not been satisfied themselves. Man, my encouragement to you this morning, if you're caught in, up in the issue of people-pleasing, that you would learn that God desires for you and God desires for me to live a life do we seek his approval, his applause. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I'd rather have God reward me than man. Because I think he can do a much better job.